You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, listen, we're going to continue with our series, Love in Action. And what I want you to do, if you have a tablet device, if you have your Bible, will you go ahead and flip to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. And I want you to whisper a silent prayer as you're doing so for these three verses. Because I think these three verses have the potential power to transform an individual and a group and even a culture. But if we're not careful, these three verses are three that you can get into a rhythm of reading. And if you're in a hurry, maybe rapidly reading through the text, or you're following Monty and I coaching you up to read Romans 12, and you just kind of soar through these, kind of coasting through them. You read them, you hear the words, but they don't really pack a punch for you in your current setting. So if we can slow down this morning and focus on these three verses, unpack them, and get a feel for what God can do in our own lives and those that we have an influence with and even a broader culture, I think these can really change things for the better. But if I, if I could meet with you, every one of you after service, I'd love to meet with you, chat with you a little bit and get your take on the following headlines. So not sure which news outlets you follow, which you read online or watch on your television, but these are from a host of different major networks. And these are some headlines over last week. This was last week, okay? So I'd love to know what strikes you, what word, how you hear this. Does it make you feel tense or what? First one, AOC... Warren and Sanders, their complaints irk NBA owner. How do you hear that? Walmart greeter, 72, allegedly hit in face by customer. Chrissy Teigen, I hope I'm getting that last name right. Chrissy Teigen is being mom shamed again. Whoopi Goldberg reduces Bella Thorne to tears with harsh words. How are you hearing this? Marin Morris, not uh, sure who she is. Marin Morris lost 5,000 social media followers after sharing photo of Parkland shooting survivor. Young lady vows to cook and clean for future husband. Are you listening? You tuned in? Young lady vows to cook and clean for future husband offending Twitter with old-fashioned views. How do you hear this? Police barriers separate Proud Boys and anti-Trump protesters in Orlando. Meghan McCain and Joey Bear get so heated over Trump, Whoopi has to step in. What does this say to us? Parents brawl over a 13-year-old umpire's call a baseball game. Man threatens to kill every gay person I can in St. Louis. So that is what we're hearing. And I'd love to touch base with you and figure out which words jump out to you. How do you feel about that? What goes through your mind? What does that do? Because that's the information we're getting. So when we come to a passage like Romans chapter 12, I would assume that the majority of us believe that the Bible is the word of God and has the power to really influence for change and for his purposes to really move us so that we're putting love into action. 
I hope you whisper that silent prayer because what we're going to do is really engage these scriptures. There's going to be four little sections. We're going to look at each one of them and how we can really apply it to our lives and to the groups we're in and maybe even to culture at large. But before we do, here's how I want you to read it. I was thinking about this passage. You can get into a rhythm and you're reading through it. And it's like, am I focused on this? What is this saying? Or are there some words that just cause me to gloss over and I move on? I was thinking about a Father's Day last week and I'm writing my dad's card for you. He gets to our house. I'm just writing through it. And I'm thinking, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write down memories that I have between me and my dad, father and his child, just memories. And I start writing a couple and then another one comes to my mind and then another comes to my mind and I'm writing and I notice that I'm getting out of chronological order. So I'm writing a memory that I have from when I'm five or six and when I have 16 or 17, but I'm just writing all these things down and they're coming to me because these are special moments between my father and his child. Well, when we read Romans chapter 12 and three weeks ago, Monty kicked off this series. He did a fantastic job talking about how we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, the way we think. So Paul's writing Romans 12. He starts out with that big idea. Then he starts talking about community. He starts talking about spiritual gifts. Then he starts talking about loving and ministering to one another in the church and then outside of the church. And you can see him getting into this rhythm where he's like, yes. And being led by the Holy Spirit, he pins this. And oh yes, that. And this also, this is what is really special between a father and his children. This needs to be included in their life. This is a quality or characteristic that they need to take with them on this Christian journey. So we jump into the text, Romans chapter 12. He starts off, and I tell you, this is going to require some intentionality. We're going to have to be deliberate to put love into action when you read these words. Bless those. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Those who push you away, those who follow follow you with evil intentions, you are to bless them. Now, here's what's tricky about this. This word bless that we translate when we get the word bless, it comes from the term to where where we get our word eulogy. If you've been to a funeral, you know that everyone who's going to be doing some speaking, they give it their best shot to say good things. They try to think of good qualities or good stories or good memories to share on behalf of the deceased. This is what Paul's talking about. With your words, you come to your God in heaven. You don't put distance. You actually engage the person or the group. And in, on their behalf, you bless them before God. Now, by a show of hands, uh, who thinks that's really easy? Yeah, I'm going to put mine down too. That's tricky. But this is love in action. And this is Paul saying this is to accompany the Christian life. So I, I, I can't remember who actually formed the stats, but Dr. Henry Cloud shared it. He shared it on Twitter a few, uh, few weeks ago. Notice these columns. We're, yeah, yeah. These columns. So first column, this is actually how many Americans die on American soil from homicide and terrorism. And you can see it's kind of minute every year, 0.9 from homicide, 0.1 from terrorist attacks. Now the second column, this is all about how many percentage of people, how often we Google or research via the internet these two categories. It escalates just a little, right? Now, what do you think we hear more than often? Because this third column, this is going to be how these two are portrayed via the news. 
What do you think the numbers are? Notice how small homicide jumps up to 23.8. This is what we hear most of, of, most of, even though on a large scale, it's what least affects us. Terrorism, 35. Can't you just see the headlines and you're reading through them and how it makes you feel? Sometimes I read and I feel the pressure too. I feel tense. I feel like I want to be more political. Like I wanna move one direction or the other. Like I wanna protest. Like I have something to say. I wanna get even. I want justice. I want all this stuff. And then I'm reminded that Paul says, hold on. There's something really special between a father and his children where he's able to call them to bless people who are persecuting them causing you to feel tense, causing you to feel that pressure, uncomfortable, at ease, wanting revenge. Those are the people you lay before the throne of God in prayer. So he emphasizes it. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, the previous slide, Robert Mulholland does a great job in his book, Shaped by the Word. And I've talked to you about it before. He talks about informational and transformational reading. He says informational reading is where we pick up the newspaper or we type in Fox or CNN or Yahoo or whatever. And we read the headlines. And if the story gets our attention and we want to read it, we do so. We read a little bit and then it loses our attention. Well, we ditch it and we go on to the next story because we're reading for information that we want. Transformational reading, on the other hand, is where you engage the biblical text, not for information, but for change, so that it affects you on a deep level. So he writes this, he says, if we're going to allow the scripture to become all that God intends for it to be in our spiritual formation, perhaps our biggest problem comes in developing a mode of response to scripture that allows God to speak to us through it. So I know how you feel when we read the headlines, because I feel the same way. How do you feel when you read Romans 12, 14? People in the headlines, bless them. For Paul, that is love and action. But he goes on, Romans 12. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And I get it, on a kind of a surface, shallow level, that's kind of natural. It's easy. And Michelle and I have a couple friends and they're great. They just bought a new vehicle, sweet, sweet forerunner. So to celebrate, we all went out for ice cream, checked out the new ride, just rejoicing in this neat purchase, rejoicing in their excitement and all that. It's natural. And who hasn't went to the hospital with a balloon or a card or something because someone's sick under the weather, going through surgery? That's natural for us. The complication or the complexity is this. This term, those, it's not qualified, is it? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. It's not qualified. It's anyone who's mourning, anyone who's rejoicing. Again, I don't know about you, but I know it's true for me. There are times where my rejoicing, I feel it wanting to show itself when someone else is mourning. Isn't that crazy, a crazy quality of human nature? Someone experiences some misfortune, bad luck, something comes their way, and it's that particular person, and you find a little satisfaction or fulfillment 
and their misfortune. I have one great illustration of this. Anybody watch the NBA finals? Okay, a few, we had one in first service. So we'll see how this trends, this illustration works you know, in second service. One of the best illustrations, we've got a photo up here. Golden State and the Raptors are playing. Um, Kevin Durant, he's been suffering this leg injury. I think maybe Achilles, I forget the exact place on his leg. But anyway, they're going through this. Killer player, he's been on the bench. Toronto's kind of moving through the series with ease. The guy comes back in, makes a couple of huge baskets. It's kind of turning the point of the game. Then he goes in for this drive. You can tell immediately something's wrong. He starts hobbling over to the sideline, just sits down, grabbing his ankle. Got the Toronto player here. What's he doing and who is he talking to? He's talking to the fans, the Toronto fans. Because when Durant went down, they started rejoicing. They stood up, kind of hovered over him, and they were clapping and cheering because they knew that they could probably win without Durant. And this guy says, time out. That's not how we do it. Yeah, he's on a different team, but that's not how it goes down. Not at all. We mourn with those who mourn. Isn't that beautiful? Set a really good example, really good example. Now, can I switch gears for just a second? Time out for just a moment. I wanna speak as clearly into your life as possible because I spend a lot of time with a handful of you and I know you really well and I know you have these tugs in your heart toward ministry. And when it comes to rejoicing and mourning with people, I think there's one little issue that can kind of push us to the side and it's this inability or unwillingness, whatever you wanna classify it as, to initiate healthy relationships. Where you and I take it upon ourselves. We don't, we're not passive or static or flat. We, we don't wait for someone to come to us. We actually go and initiate some kind of healthy relationship with someone else. So a couple of things here, a little off script, just if you will indulge this moment in case it's really speaking to you. But I know that some of you have a really strong heart for certain ministries. Some of you are compelled toward certain groups or certain individuals, and I get that. You know my story. My oldest daughter is 22. When I walked across the stage to graduate high school or see my diploma as a dad, her mom and I, we never married, but we tried to do the best we could under the circumstances. She's 22 now, love on her all the time. When I see someone with a small child and they're a statistic just like I am, my heart breaks. There's something in me that wants involved in their lives. And I know that some of you feel the exact same thing. Maybe not with statistical parents, but you feel it in other areas. You see someone, you see groups, and you want in. You whisper these prayers, God, is there an open door? Will you open a door? Can I step into their lives? What can I say to them? How can I initiate this healthy relationship? So I saw this lady the other day, young lady, probably mid-20s at the oldest. She's sitting at a table in a coffee shop, and across from her, there's two other people, probably her age, likely a little younger. She's got this baby on her knee, kind of bouncing right there, cutest little child, cutest little child. And I'm just watching, kind of listening, and I hear that things aren't going well in this gal's life at all. And some stuff's out of order, and she's, I think... So this may be a judgment call on me. I think she has these two friends with her, her, her peers, to bounce off some ideas, some advice. How do I move forward? So this may be a judgment call, but I'm thinking, is that all she has? 
If they're younger than her, can they really speak into this scenario? Does she need someone who's been there? So if you'll write 2 Corinthians 1 in your margin or on your pamphlet there, will you write 2 Corinthians 1? Go back and read this text. In this text, Paul says, God chooses to comfort us in our difficulties. The difficulties that you're experiencing right now, God will comfort us during those. Not so that we can be happy and feel good and light and free, but he comforts us so that we can in turn comfort those with the same comfort we've received. So I've been there, I understand, and I see this gal and I see her baby and I want in. So I start whispering this prayer and I think, okay, I think I see an open door. They're cleaning up, they're about to leave. I walk on over, introduce myself, talk about um, the church and all that and say, hey, wife and I'd love to buy you a Frappuccino, bring you over to the office sometime. We'd love to chat with you about what's going on. And she's really open to it. And I think, yes, I'm in. And I know some of you feel that. So here's the point I wanna make for you. Don't lose sight of that if somebody criticizes that. I get pushed back a little. Sometimes I get a little pushback for going to coffee shops so much. But I go there looking for an open door or a gap somewhere God can use me. And I want you to know that if you have a heart, your heart breaks for a certain type, certain group, certain kind of ministry. If you're not going in there just to bring comfort, but you're going to bring comfort that God has brought you and change and healing through the gospel, go all in. Go all in, regardless of who criticizes you. Remember, even our Lord Jesus walked around and he got criticized by some of the religious leaders who said, this guy, he eats with sinners and he hangs out with tax collectors. No, that's our God. That's our Lord. That's our leader rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn, saying, I want in, I want in. Any uh, heavy metal fans in the house? Hard rock, odd question for the church, right? Yeah, you know this guy right here? Who is this? Alice Cooper, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you look at the guy, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't know, maybe not the freelance guy. I don't know, I don't know much about him. All I know is that when you look at him, he doesn't look like the typical Christian. But you get a little familiar with the guy's music, familiar with what he's doing, and you see that he hangs out with another guy, Pastor Greg Lowry. And they actually sat down. He's a pastor out in California. They actually sat down for an interview just last month. And Pastor Lowry is interviewing the guy, and they're talking about some cool things that God is doing through Alice Cooper's life. And this is the first time I realized, wow, this dude's a Christian. He's a faith-filled man. And here's one of his quotes from the interview. He says, you know what? Drinking beer, easy. Trashing your hotel room, easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's rebellion. And it really is. When you read the headlines and you see how a society or a culture is supposed to act or how they're acting, and then you come to Romans 12 and you're called to bless those who are persecuting you. And you're called to rejoice with whoever's rejoicing and mourn with whoever's mourning. This is rebellious. So Paul goes on. <clears throat> Romans 12 says, so bless, rejoice, and now live in harmony with one another. 
Live in harmony with one another. This is this word harmony. It's the idea of taking your experiences and all of the emotions that flow from those experiences, good or bad, and regulating them so that you can live with other people and you not only live, but thrive in your relationship with them. In this context, through our faith or through church, you could say. This is kind of important, don't you think? Live in harmony with one another. So when you think about church, you think about Christians, um, not, not out loud, just in your mind, what are Christians called in the New Testament part of our Bible? So when you come to Matthew and you read the rest of the New Testament, what are Christians called? Well, yeah, they're called Christians. Here's a brief list. They're called brethren. I'm a little OCD, so I didn't want to put, this is brothers and sisters, basically. I didn't want brothers and sisters to be really tall and then this stuff not as long. So sorry about that. That's why I put brethren. Brothers and sisters, they're called members of the way, probably reference to Jesus saying, I'm the truth, the life, and the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. They're called believers and they're called Christians. But there's a word that we use and I think it's really interesting that we use it and we put an emphasis on it. But once you get outside of the gospels and acts and Paul starts writing his letters and James is writing and Peter's writing his letters, this word isn't used and it's the word disciples. It's really interesting. This word simply means, it comes, from a, it comes from a word that has the root for math. And it literally means to think through the implications. So a disciple is someone who has thought through what following Jesus means for me. What this means for my life. What I may need to change or adjust. What I need to start or stop. I'm working through it. I'm working through it, not in the context of a culture, but in the context of a written word that we call the Holy Bible. A disciple thinks through what blessing and rejoicing and harmony literally looks like in the day to day. You could say that these people becoming disciples, this is what they're now known as. This is what being a disciple creates. Followers of Jesus, people who believe and it changes and shakes them and rocks their worlds. People who understand that Christ is the way. They're surrendered to him bringing us to the Father. And it creates harmony or a family. Brothers and sisters, we think through what that looks like. That's huge because this is more than a community. This is church. This is God's idea. Uh, several of you picked up the book I referenced a couple of weeks ago called Gay Girl, Good God. And in it, Jackie Hill Perry takes us through her journey into a deeply embedded faith of surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ in her life. And she's talking about this idea of community in the context of discipleship. We're living in harmony with one another. And notice her language. She writes, the group of Christians I began to know and enjoy they showed me God. The community I called home for a season of my life, that community, they were still image bearers, still friends. They still mattered. I still loved them, but I loved God more. 
the previous community could not help me love who they did not know themselves. Her words, not mine. The difference was not skill, intellect, comfort, humor, or beauty. The difference between the two communities was that in one and not the other, God dwelled. God dwells in this idea of church. This is a little more than community. This is people saying, yes, we will become disciples. We'll take the written word of God and we'll think through what this means for my life. And then we'll start putting that into practice. Even when I'm called to bless and not curse. Rejoice and mourn with people that I'd rather not rejoice and mourn with. When I'm called to live in harmony. This is powerful. But it's so easy to read over, isn't it? Come to Romans 12, verse 14, 15. Yeah, let me get on to the good stuff. So Paul goes back. 14, 16, he goes in. So rejoice, bless, live in harmony. And don't be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. I'd love to know if you have a different version than the NIV, how it words low position. Don't associate with people of low position. And don't be Conceited. I did something as a dad I'd never done. And looking back, I'm thinking, why didn't I ever do that? It was one of the best things that I've ever, ever done. And I only did it like two or three weeks ago. So I'm at Walmart in the Barbie aisle with Bella. And previously, we've been in that aisle many times. I'm hanging up here, you know, where everything's like $30, $40, $50. I should have been down here a long time ago. So Bella's looking at some stuff. She's asking me questions. And I'm thinking, you know what? Why don't I just get down here? So get down, I'm looking at this stuff and it's amazing. Stuff's so much cheaper down here. Okay, so dads, if you're in the barbie, I'll take a knee. So much cheaper. So I'm down here looking at prices. She's showing me things I didn't know existed. I'm seeing other things. I'm seeing how these accessories play into the other stuff she wants. And what's really cool, and I was thinking about it with what Paul is teaching here. I'm able to see her life from her perspective. I see her life from her perspective. Who would you consider low or low position or lowly? Paul says when you put love into action, you get down on a knee metaphorically and you give it your best shot to see someone else's life from their perspective. So a guy reached out to me last week and said, hey, I'd like to talk about baptism. A very frequent question, I get this a lot. I was baptized as a baby or a child, wanting to know if it, if it took, you know, if it stuck, or do you have to do that again as an adult? So he says, I'd love to buy a cup of coffee and we talk about it, we go have coffee. I don't buy all the time, sometimes people buy, you know? So we go over. Great conversation. I have to tell you, this is one of the most, this is one of the politest, most polite, politest, whatever, young men that I'd ever met in my life. He had some deep questions. And I told my wife later, I said, he stretched me a little bit. I had to answer some questions that I hadn't had to answer in a while. I had to dust the book off some of the, dust the, you know, cobwebs out of some of my thoughts, and work through them. And we're chatting and working through it. And I have to tell you, he pressed me on some things and we worked through it. And during the whole time, I'm thinking, gosh, this guy's super polite. 
and we're just talking, and it included some, some disagreement, maybe some sharp disagreement once or twice. But I could tell so quickly, basically as soon as we sat down, that this guy was willing to listen and then learn. You know what that did for me? It put me in a position where I was so much more willing to listen and to learn from him as well. Paul says, who do you think you're better than? Who don't you have enough time for? Who do you already know is going straight to hell so you know, there's no helping them? Who do you know that has an agenda so you know that you can't really do any work in their lives? Who's low position for you? If you'll put in your margin again or wherever you're taking notes, we write 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. We reread that chapter. 1 Corinthians 5. Now it's some heavy stuff and we don't talk a lot about it around church because it is kind of heavy. And it can be controversial. It can be a little divisive. But in this context, Paul's actually talking about harmony. He's talking about relationships. He's talking about Christianity, if you will. And it reaches this point where he says, some of your relationships can be toxic damaging, destructive for you, and you're gonna to have to sever ties with them a little bit. Otherwise, you're going down with them. And then he qualifies and say, but time out. I want you to know that I'm actually talking about inside the church. He says, I'm not talking about people outside of the kingdom. Inside the church, there needs to be a bar, a standard, something we're aiming at, shooting for. There needs to be accountability and growth and formation and development. You've gotta do that for one another. I'm not talking about those outside of the church, outside of Christ. Don't you think we get that inverted? Isn't it so easy to read the headlines? And you see people who are outside of the church, so we go a different direction. We take a different route. I see that all the time. So he goes on in this passage of 1 Corinthians and he says, you know what? Actually, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And don't we get that inverted at times? We're kind of loose on the inside and we expect everybody to have this high standard on the outside. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God's got the outside. So you don't think you're better than anyone. You don't think you're superior. Don't be conceited. Come alongside of those that you would classify as low position and be willing to listen and learn. And God can do great things in those moments. I don't know about you, but I, ha I would have a tendency to take Romans 12, verses 14, 15, and 16, and just zoom through them. And not think that actually when I'm approaching God in prayer, I'm bringing names of people who have caused problems in my life or who make me tense. I'm bringing them before God. That's love in action. Or the people that I'm just a little tickled, got a little smile when things don't go their way. That love in action is actually to come alongside of them, to mourn with them. When they have an upturn, start rejoicing with them. Love in action says, this is church. And we get along and we live in harmony. And we take every step that we possibly can to make that a reality. Love in action says I'm better than no one. And actually I'll knock down some barriers 
to get involved in the lives of other people. Uh, Chris Moon, he's a former pastor at a church down south a little ways called in Stanton. He's got this great quote. He says, humility, humility opens the door for change. Isn't that good? Humility opens the door for change. So you want to put some love into action? I look out at Northeast. I spend quite a bit of time with several of you, some lesser time with some more of you. And I hear stories about you doing exactly what we've talked about this morning. I hear stories about you putting love into action. I'm thinking, my goodness, if we got everybody on board with this, how we could influence people and groups and the culture in the name of Jesus Christ and for the purposes of God. And it makes me think, I know some of you are doing this. And then for the rest of you, you're up for this? Are you up for this high call to say, this is what's important to a father and his children, to bless and not curse, rejoice, live in harmony, and not think better of yourselves than other people. You're up for that? Can you do that? Love into action? No? Yeah, I think you're up for it. And I am too, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we want to finalize this with that final comment, that humility opens the door for change. And we think about our Lord Jesus Christ who humbled himself so that he could become like us and look at the change that he's been making for over 2,000 years. Father, we praise you for him. We praise you for his example. We thank you for this idea of yours called church, where we can come and be transformed and redeemed and brought into your people, start moving your purposes forward, where we can be healed and given meaning and a fresh, authentic identity. We thank you, Father, for what happens when we come before your throne of grace in prayer and we lift up those who are persecuting us, pushing us away, those pursuing us with evil intent. We praise you for what you do, Father, when we rejoice with other people and share in their happiness and we come alongside of those who are struggling. We praise you, Father, for what harmony looks like and the beauty that comes through being here on a Sunday and getting energized because we're living and thriving together. We praise you, Father, for reminding us that we do not have to compare ourselves, that we are no better. We can just be reminded that we're one of your children and we allow you to use us to move your purposes forward. Father, rally this group together to put love into action like never before in this community. And may it all be for your glory. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen.